The Melee in Lawrence. Well, I don't know how good it sounds, but guess what? I guess that's what we'll have to call what took place on Tuesday night. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We appreciate you joining us here and being a part of the show. And before we get into this news of the day and news of the week across not just the Big 12 but college basketball, please take a moment out, guys. Leave that rating, review, subscribe. We'll send you a free koozie if you do that. A free Heartland College Sports koozie on us if you leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. So I did not think that we'd get to the show this week, and I would open up talking about a 20-point blowout in the Sunflower Showdown, but that's where we have to start because of what took place as the game was wrapping up. If you missed it, a brawl, a melee, whatever you want to call it, broke out as the game was ending on Tuesday night in Lawrence. And here's a little bit of what that call sounded like on ESPN. And a block to finish. And DeSosa blocks it, and now the bench is empty. Just unnecessary. Yep. That's not good. This is, a this punch is call. This is bad. This is a no. no good. Oh, this is terrible. There's no other way to put it. The whole thing is a complete embarrassment for K-State, for KU, for the Big 12, and for college basketball. But let's break it down. So what happens is K-State's getting blown out by 20 points, final seconds. KU's dribbling the ball out. K-State player steals the ball, goes to drive for a layup in the final seconds. Now, should the K-State player have stolen the ball? No. You're down 20. You've shown very little fight in the game. You've gotten blown out. Pack up your bags and go home. Get on I-70, go back to Manhattan, watch the tape, regroup, and try to perform better on Saturday. That's what you do if you're K-State, all right? So, yes, they deserve some blame for what is, you know, tacky, lack of sportsmanship, sure. But then KU hammers the K-State player going up for the layup and kind of flexes at him. Also, highly unnecessary. You know, if anything, give him the layup. Cheap, tacky, yes, you won the game by 20, everybody move on. And if you block them, don't flex, turn around, go back to the bench, and go home. You know, you're on campus, snow's coming, just go home. Don't lose any sleep over it, you got the last laugh. So yes, a couple of wrongs there, no doubt about it. But then the whole thing spirals out of control, you've got pushing, shoving, some swinging starts, But the worst part of the entire melee, bar none, was the now infamous image of Silvio D'Souza, KU's player, who had a chair over his head and was about to use it as a weapon. And had he used it as a weapon, he would have been charged with a felony. And he should have been charged with a felony had he used it as a weapon. Thankfully, it looked like an assistant coach grabbed the chair out of his hands as his hands were behind his head and he was about to go full WWE on somebody and who knows who. And by the way, this is all taking place where some media sit and disabled fans sit to add tackiness to this entire thing. That's where this was all taking place on Tuesday night in Lawrence. Silvio D'Souza should not play another college basketball game of his career. If he wants to go play overseas, if he wants to take a shot and go right to the NBA, be my guest. Be my guest. 
But the NCAA, which has never been great at trying to figure these things out, I mean, the, for the most part, whether it's football, basketball, doesn't matter what it is, the NCAA has generally embarrassed itself at trying to hand down suspensions and these types of things. But there can be no slaps on the wrist. There can be no looking ahead at potential competitive disadvantages. You cannot do this in this case when you had a player a half a second away from doing God knows what to another player, to a fan, to a member of the media, on your court. You cannot have it if you're the NCAA. There has got to be serious, serious suspensions, if not expulsions, handed down. Now, Silvio D'Souza is the only guy that I would sit there and say, he's done in college basketball. He does not deserve the right, the privilege to play this sport anymore at this level. Go do it in the G League. Go do it in the NBA. Go do it in Argentina. You're not doing it here, and you're not doing it on our watch. And by the way, you want to talk about getting out of hand. Ron Artest, remember that? Malice at the Palace, are we 15 years ago now? With Ron Artest, when he went into the stands with Jermaine O'Neal and Steven Jackson, and they were fighting fans and whatnot, Artest got a 73-game suspension. 73 games from David Stern, NBA commissioner at that time, RIP. He laid the hammer down, right? Now, maybe D'Souza wasn't going after a fan, but he was about to use a chair as a weapon. That's far worse than anything Ron Artest did with a 73-game suspension. All right, far worse. So if you want to give D'Souza whatever, two seasons, he's a sophomore, fine. Give him two-plus seasons, he's done till after a senior year anyway. He can't play anymore in college basketball. He has got to be shown the door at this level in this sport. You cannot have that. And the only reason some potential serious damage did not happen to somebody underneath that basket last night was because there was an angel standing behind him, an assistant coach who got that chair out of his hands. That was as dangerous a situation as college basketball could have experienced in arguably the history of its sport. That's how bad that could have been. And college basketball has to make an example out of this instance. Now, you know what? The other folks involved, whether it's Azubuke, Dotson, now K-State players as well. I got to go through the tapes. I don't want to single out KU players. But D'Souza is above everybody else. All right, He is way above everybody else in what the penalty should be. But I'm looking back on the tape, looking back on the video. But, you know, I'm saying, okay, who did what? By the way, who came off the bench? Dotson came off the bench for KU. So that's going to be a several-game suspension. Azabuke was in the game, I believe, at that time. I want to look and see what K-State players were involved. But let's be honest here, too. KU had far more to lose than K-State. K-State's in a rebuilding season. It's not going well for them. I hate to say it, but this has been the biggest story of the year for K-State because it just hasn't been a good basketball season. And Bruce Weber does deserve some flack for how this season has gone or has not gone. I mean, this team is two seasons removed from an Elite Eight, and you know they're going to finish in the bottom three in the Big 12. They have not prepared for this season or for this moment when you talk about the recruiting trail. They just haven't done it. So it's not to take anything away or, I guess, uh, overshadow what has been a disappointing season for K-State, but KU had far more to lose here in a year that's wide open, wide open in college basketball. 
KU can make a Final Four run. Heck, why not a national championship run in a wide-open college basketball season? Why not? And they just threw it all away. They just threw it all away. I mean, I'm not looking at any three, four-game suspensions here. The NCAA has got to be looking at double-digit game suspensions at the minimum, at the minimum, for those involved. And D'Souza's got to be done for his NCAA career. You can't have that. You can't even have somebody thinking about that in your sport. You can't do it. So this is something that is, unfortunately, the story of the week. And in a year that has not been a good year for college basketball, there's no super teams. There's really no superstars. But, hey, as Pat Forty put it in Sports Illustrated, we've got a super melee for you. Well said there, Pat. Nice job. The entire sport should be mad at Kansas and Kansas State. Because this sport, you know, it's it's been a tough, I would say, few years for college basketball in general. The one and done has thrown them off quite a bit. Um, it's tough to get a lot of juice in this sport before you get to late February, early March. But this year in particular has been up and down. There's not that team or two where you're like, that's a Final Four. That's a national championship team. I got to turn on that team every night and see what they're all about. I got to watch this player every night and see what they're all about. They don't have it. Yeah, you root for your team. I get it. But the average fan who could be watching anything else does not have a reason this year to be watching college basketball. That's a problem for the sport. And the fact that by far the biggest story of their season thus far in late January has been a melee between Kansas and Kansas State is embarrassing. It's sad. It's frustrating. And the NCAA has got to bring the hammer down. They've got to bring the hammer down. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Thanks so much for joining us and being a part of the show. I hate to have to start with that, but it is the place to start. Coming up, Matthew Postens. He's our Big 12 basketball insider. He's going to join us. We'll talk about this, what the fallout should be, and the rest of the Big 12 basketball scene coming up next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, it's that time of the week. Always great to welcome in Matthew Postens, our Big 12 basketball insider. Guy watches every Big 12 game. He's fantastic. I put him up against anybody when it comes to Big 12 hoops. Joining us, I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Matthew, unfortunately, the story of the week in the Big 12 is not a game, but it's a melee in the final seconds of the KU-K-State game on Tuesday night. We found out on Wednesday morning that Bill Self has suspended Silvio D'Souza for an indefinite period of time. I'd like to get your initial thoughts on what you saw Tuesday night and where we are right now on the suspensions slash where we should be going on the suspensions. Well, it's interesting because that was the game I actually turned off at halftime just because, A, it was non-competitive, and, B, I had the uh, Tech, TCU, and Oklahoma State, uh, Iowa State games to watch. So I didn't find out about the brawl until actually you told me <laughs> after yeah. the game. So I went back and watched the video, and you know the, the only good thing about this is that it happened in an area where some of the press was located. So you now you have the ESPN feed. I think uh, a couple of K State or Kansas reporters had really good video from where they were, just showing everything. And, and my my initial reaction was, you know, it, it felt kind of like the malice in the palace all over again. Yep. Uh, the big Pistons Pacers fight from the early aughts. Uh, where they, you know, Ron Artest and several other guys went up into the stands and were fighting each other, not necessarily fighting fans, 
but the fight spilled over into the crowd. And, and David Stern handed out massive suspensions for that fight. The only other allegory that I can think of in the Big 12 of recent vintage is Marcus Smart uh, trading a punch with a, a Texas Tech fan six years ago. Smart only got a three-game suspension for that. So mm-hmm. uh, this is relatively unprecedented, at least in my mind, in terms of uh, the Big 12. And, you know, for me, I think you do obviously have to suspend Silvio D'Souza uh, at this point. I mean, he is the iconic image from this fight with the big bench chair uh, over his head, seemingly poised to to hit somebody with it. And, and fortunately, he did not. Uh, I don't know of any injuries from the fight, either player or fan. Uh, and Bill Self did say, in terms of handing down the punishment to, to D'Souza, that there's still a joint Kansas Big 12 review. So there could be more punishment coming from more players. To me, if I were the Big 12, I would dissect that tape because you, you can't sit there and tell me that Silvio D'Souza is the only player uh, from either team that deserves to be suspended after that melee on Wednesday night. There were several Kansas players and several Kansas State players uh, in that brawl. I, I really can't imagine this is the only suspension that gets handed down. But this is the first step that they need to take. And you should note, this is a Bill Self suspension. This is not a Big 12 suspension. So there could be additional punishment for D'Souza coming. Where does the NCAA factor into this, Matthew? I mean, can they start handing down a suspension if they want to? I suppose they could, but it would be relatively unprecedented. They usually let the the conferences handle these sorts of things when it comes to on-court fights and things like that. I, I would be surprised if the NCAA stepped in and uh, and did something on a on a bigger level, unless we find out that, say, there were some fans that got injured seriously mm-hmm. because of this. And I haven't heard any reports of any fans getting hurt. You know, we'll find more about that. In the, find out more about that in the coming days, but. Typically, in these sorts of situations, uh, the NCAA tends to let the conference take care of that business. Well, that that gets to the next point. I mean, do you think the NCAA should? I mean, should this be something where they set a precedent? Because you're right, whether a fan got injured or not, though, I'm looking at it and I'm saying this guy was a a whack away with that chair when you look at it from committing a felony, Matthew. I mean, if it wasn't for that coach standing behind him, and thank goodness he was there to rip that chair out of his hands, I mean, we we would have a completely different and even worse story this morning. Well, let's just be honest. That is a felony. In the real world, that is attempted aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. That is a felony Uh, in the real world. In in sports, it's something completely different. Uh, The NCAA has always seen itself as an agency that really just gets involved when – its bylaws are violated. So are there bylaws related to fighting on the court? I'm sure there are within the NCAA. If there are, then I would venture to say that the NCAA should apply those bylaws Mm -hmm. in some way. Because college sports is so decentralized when it comes to this particular point of the equation, it's really hard for me to say the NCAA will get involved. I think they should get involved. I think this is an area where you know, when you see the NFL, as much as we rail on the NFL about on play, about on-field discipline, they do a pretty good job of, of centralizing it. The NBA does the same thing. Uh, NHL, all four of the major sports do that, do something similar when it comes to that. But the NCAA just has never had the wherewithal to do that. And, you know, I, I think the NCAA is probably waiting and seeing what the Big 12 does when it comes to suspensions. And maybe if they feel like it's not enough, uh, they might step in. But, you know, remember – the worst scandal we had in the 2010-2019 decade was the scandal at Penn State. Mm-hmm. The NCAA chose to let the Reich investigation stand and, and do their sanctions that way. I mean, this is an organization that simply 
doesn't want to step in unless it absolutely has to. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Matthew Poston's joining us, our Big 12 basketball insider here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So uh, as you look at this, Matthew, I mean, to me, it's a stain on both basketball programs. It's a stain on the entire Big 12 and all of college basketball, for that matter. In a year where there's no super team, there's no, you know, dominant superstars. I thought that Pat Forty put it best in Sports Illustrated on Wednesday morning. He wrote, uh, the sad thing for college basketball is that an unrestrained brawl just became the most memorable moment of a muddled season. No super teams, no superstars, but hey, here's a super melee. I thought that was very well written and very well said. Uh, what are your thoughts on that and just what has been kind of a, a muddled college basketball season and now this is the biggest thing everybody's talking about? Yeah, I mean, if you know, if you want to get down to it, you know, last night we should have been talking about the 20 points that Christian Brown put in for Kansas off the bench, hitting six threes and really giving, you know, really giving life to the fact that they, you know, he might be like a, a second or third option for them off the bench. We got to be talking about, you know, TCU's big game against Texas Tech breaking a two-game losing streak, or you know Iowa State finally getting off the schneid and beating Oklahoma State uh, at home. I, we're not talking about any of those things. When I did my Periscope podcast uh, after Tuesday's game, that was you know the melee was pretty much you know the first five ten minutes of that, and we didn't spend a lot of time on basketball. And it's it's extremely unfortunate because you know as you said, there really isn't a dominant team this year. I actually think that's kind of cool because when you get to March. That means we're going to have maybe one of the widest fields we've ever had the NCAA tournament where legitimately 12 to 15 teams could easily claim uh, themselves as a Final Four contender. And, and maybe some of these mid-majors that you know, haven't necessarily gone to the party the last few years might actually have a chance to do so. I, I, I actually like the fact that uh, there isn't a dominant team. But, yes, because of that vacuum of not having a dominant team like last year with Duke, everybody was talking about Zion Williamson. Yeah, this does become the biggest story, at least for this month and, and at least to this point, you know, aside from the, the big upsets of number ones like Evansville beating Kentucky and Stephen F. Austin beating Duke, this does become the biggest story in, in college basketball to this point. Matthew, we've got a few minutes left. Let's just talk some basketball here. Uh, this week, there's, there's two big storylines. You mentioned one of them there, TCU beating Tech. But let's talk about the Monday beatdown in West Virginia on Texas. Shaka Smart, I know he's recruited really well, Matthew, but you're starting to see now some, some media folks down there in Austin question Shaka Smart's future. It almost felt to me like the beginning of the end. Maybe I'm overreacting, but when you have uh, well-respected local media saying, you know, this this is not a good moment of Shaka Smart's tenure here in Austin, what do you make of what his future is right now? Uh, it's interesting because I've been a guy who has, you know, reliably defended him and said, you know, like you said, he's recruiting well. He's a good coach. He proved that at Virginia Commonwealth. Let's give him a little bit more time and a little bit more rope to make things happen. Uh, a buddy of mine who works at the Statesman, Cedric Golden, after that game tweeted out, this feels like Shaka's 66-3 UCLA moment. He was referencing the 66-3 loss that Texas football absorbed against LSU at home in John Makovic's last year as head coach. That loss, more than anything, led to Makovic's firing and led to Mac Brown's hiring. This is something that could stick with Shaka and will stick with Shaka the rest of the season and could very well stick with him the longer he's at Texas because this is the kind of game. The the Big 12 is one of the best conferences in basketball. And, yes, we've had some blowouts this year, but this sort of a loss on the road against a ranked team it just it isn't acceptable to any of the coaches in this conference, and it certainly isn't acceptable to Shaka. And the thing that really kind of got me Monday night in watching that game was just I kind of felt like there were times where that team just kind of gave up. And that is 
that more than anything will get a coach in trouble with alumni. TJ Ford tweeted out that he'd never seen anything like it in all his time as a player or as a fan of the University of Texas. Uh, you know, Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman is talking about Shaka Smart's buyout. It's $10 million. This is one of those things, and, and the part of the equation that nobody's really talked about yet is the new arena they're building that'll be open in a couple of years. You're going to have a hard time selling season tickets and a hard time getting fans interested if your team is a, a middling average Big 12 team. And that's the uphill battle that Shaka Smart has to fight right now. So I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that his, I mean, his job is on the line, but I don't think this is the end of the line. I think he can still turn it around. There's still opportunities for him to, to get this team to the NCAA tournament, maybe even win an NCAA tournament game, which he has not done at Texas yet. I think that could help him keep his job. But this certainly changes the calculus for Shaka Smart's future at the University of Texas. He's Matthew Poston, our Big 12 basketball insider, joining us here on the show. Matthew, I look forward to talking next week and actually chatting more about basketball instead of the unfortunate situation that took place Tuesday night in Lawrence. But uh, keeps it interesting for us. Thanks as always, man. Great to have you on. Appreciate it, Pete. Well, coming up, Baylor's got its new head coach. Dave Aranda holds his first press conference this week. Initial thoughts coming up next. Well, let's get to what I thought was going to be our lead story this week, and that is the fact that Baylor hired Dave Aranda to be its next head coach. The press conference was held earlier this week, and I was pretty impressed. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. So last week's show, it was announced that Dave Aranda um, is going to be the next head coach of Baylor. Didn't see it coming, not going to lie. That one caught me off guard. And I think it's a good hire. First off, they had to pay him a boatload. We won't really know the numbers because Baylor's a private school. They don't have to share the numbers. But it's got to be a boatload of money. Aranda, top paid assistant in the country, $2.5 bucks a year at LSU, national champs. Baylor took care of him. So the press conference was earlier this week. And I like what I heard from this guy because it wasn't just all about football. It was about you know his opinion and what his vision is for how he can carry himself at Baylor. I've always wanted to be a part of a program that was smart, tough, and dependable. And in my study of Baylor, that's, that's everyone that's, that's sitting and standing here. And to be around people that believe in those same values, that are built in those values, you can go anywhere you want to go. With those intangibles, at the most basic level, you could see that Baylor shared the same values as myself. To have the opportunity to coach with your Christian faith out front was a big pull. Unfortunately, in most schools, that's that's not looked upon as something to be. At Baylor, I can coach being myself. I mean, that's good stuff. It's refreshing to hear that kind of stuff from Dave Aranda. I didn't expect to hear it from Dave Aranda. Now, I don't know much about the guy, but it caught me off guard, and I was impressed and pleased by it. Now, we all know that stuff sounds good in the opening press conference, talking about you know what your religion means to you and, and bringing that in and having that as part of your culture and you know your personal life, obviously, at a place like Baylor. But ultimately, let's be honest, it's going to come down to wins and losses, right? Like, I don't think that Dave Aranda or any Power 5 coach, for that matter, gets a longer leash because, well, he wears his Christian faith on his sleeve. And that's, I mean, more power to him. Like, I'm all about that. That's awesome. 
And it sounds great. And I'm glad he's doing it. Like, I support him in doing that. But let's not kid ourselves because that is only going to get Dave Aranda so far. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be a bust. I think he'll be a great head coach. And it's fun to have a guy with this type of defensive pedigree in the Big 12 as a head coach at a place like Baylor. It's awesome. It's awesome. But ultimately, wins and losses will determine what Dave Aranda's fate is going to be. Now, he got a big hire as well. Former LSU defensive line coach Dennis Johnson is joining Aranda's staff at Baylor. This guy is one of the most recognized recruiters in the country, and he is leaving LSU for Baylor. Can you believe that? Hey, that is crazy. This guy started with the Tigers back in 2016 recruiting or coaching outside linebackers, promoted in 2018 and started coaching the defensive line, and was replaced by Bill Johnson for the 2019 season after sustaining injuries. So now you have a guy who worked under new Baylor head coach and LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda for four seasons. Prior to his full-time position at Baton Rouge, Johnson worked as a grad assistant at Northwestern State and at LSU. He's an LSU alum. He's a talented recruiter per his LSU profile and an innate ability to land big-time recruits who played a pivotal role in LSU's last three signing classes. That's from our friends at Sikkim365.com. The fact that they just stole one of LSU's best defensive recruiting chips is incredible. And to think that Baylor could pull that off even three, four years ago, I mean, stunning. Absolutely stunning. So I'm disappointed Joey McGuire didn't get the job. I do hope McGuire is going to have a prominent role with this staff moving forward. It's always awkward. You want to let Aranda do his thing, but I do hope that McGuire is there for, you know, the building of this program, the continued building of this program. But boy, you got to like what Dave Aranda is doing and props to Baylor for being willing to shell out what they need to shell out to get some of these guys in the mix. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Some other news and notes, by the way. Todd Orlando is leaving Texas Tech after less than two weeks for USC. Now, I will say this. In all fairness, it's a better job at USC. It's a promotion at USC. But it still stinks for Texas Tech. And it just feels like... Matt Wells, not can't get out of his own way. That's not a fair way to put it. But just when you think things are on the upswing, you take a step back. It's like two steps forward, one step back. And that's the part of it that's got to be frustrating for him because you bring on a guy like Todd Orlando, who to me should not have been fired by Texas. I think Tom Herman used Todd Orlando as a, as a scapegoat. That defense was banged up. Todd Orlando had one of the best defenses in the Big 12 his first couple of years. And then suddenly in 2019, he forgot how to coach defense. I mean, that's not fair. That's just not fair. So he gets used as a scapegoat at Texas. And then you have Texas Tech, who picks up Todd Orlando as an assistant head coach and a linebackers coach. I mean, what a grab that was for Matt Wells. Well, less than two weeks later, Orlando... Leaves Texas Tech for USC to be the defensive coordinator for the Trojans. Now, I don't blame him for taking that job. It's a blue blood job in the Pac-12 at USC as the defensive coordinator instead of being the assistant head coach and the linebackers coach. I get it. I get it. Like, if it was a lateral move and it was linebackers coach to linebackers coach, you'd be bothered by it as a Tech fan. 
I don't think you can be bothered by this one because you're getting a promotion at a team that historically is a top 10 program in college football. It's hard to be like, no, I'm not taking that because I'm loyal to Tech because I've been here two weeks. I just hope the guy didn't sign a lease, you know? And if he did, I'm sure USC will bail him out of it. But I'm I'm just saying to myself, ah, oh, geez, that stinks. Absolutely stinks. So I don't think it's make or break for Matt Wells, but you got to be like, oh, man, just when I feel like things are back on track, we get kicked in the gut with this type of a deal. I mean, that is, uh, that's tough for Texas Tech fans, but let's see how the offseason unfolds. I know Matt Wells is hitting the recruiting trail hard. We've talked, by the way, a lot of the sports departments in the Big 12 about getting some coaches on here during the offseason, and we're looking to make that work. I think we'll be able to make that work. It's just right now uh, the recruiting trail is hot and heavy, and I know that you know a lot of these guys have most of their classes lined up, but there's still there's still guys to be had, and if you're a Texas Tech, you know if you're a team right now in the bottom half of the conference, you got to be fighting tooth and nail for some of these guys to uh, to get that whole deal done. So look forward to having those conversations here in the coming weeks. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of HeartlandCollegeSports.com, your independent Big Twelve digital media outlet. Thanks so much for joining us, being a part of the show, whether it's on radio, whether it's on podcast, wherever it might be. We appreciate you joining us. No weeks off here. We go all year round, not just football and basketball. And as always, take a moment out, guys. Please leave that rating and review and subscribe. It helps us tremendously as this show builds every week because of your word of mouth and because of you doing things like leaving that rating, review, subscribing. And and we will send you a koozie, a Heartland College Sports koozie, if you leave that rating and review. And send me a screenshot of it to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you next week.